Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. As, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make of bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left, of, left off building the city, and therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. And that is our first reading, which sets our context for this morning. The message is entitled Reversing Babel. This is Pentecost Sunday. You might have guessed by all the red uh, linens and so forth, Pentecost Sunday is, in my opinion, an underrated special Sunday in the life of the church. I mean, look at the attendance, no offense. I'm thrilled that you're here, but we won't have this kind of sparsity on an Easter Sunday. We won't have this kind of sparsity on Christmas. But at Pentecost, vacations have begun, and a lot of people just don't realize what a hugely important event Pentecost is and why it's worthy of celebration equal to, if not greater than, Easter and Christmas. But here we are, and I'm going to share a message with you that I hope will inform you of how amazingly significant this event is. Now, the story of Babel is a profound expression of exactly how much sin separates us from each other and us from God, which is really the point of the story of the Tower of Babel. And I want to flesh that out with you, and I want you to see how this entire biblical narrative that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation is an amazing story about supernatural events, human uh, government and human expressions of authority and purpose and meaning. And the, the entire Bible tells the story about God's relationship with humanity and the struggle between good and evil, between God and a fallen society of higher beings. We would call them angels. That's our easy terminology for it, but I'm going to show you that it's even more complicated than that. I am excited right now because uh, I've been watching the new season of Stranger Things, and I've been reading some really great Christian literature about Stranger Things, and you would be amazed 
at how much the Bible and a television series have in common. God makes God's voice known and God's story known all the time if we just pay attention. If we just listen with spirit-filled ears, which is, after all, what Pentecost is all about. If we'll just see with spirit-illumined eyes. That's why we pray this prayer for illumination. You know, we're asking the spirit to open our eyes that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. So you have to go back to Eden and you have to recognize that in Eden there was the Adam, right? We call them Adam and Eve because when we were little kids, the flannel graph had a picture of a man with a fig leaf and a woman with three fig leaves. And, and we went from there, right? And we have that idea in our minds, and that's okay because that's a great place to start. Our children learn the story at an appropriate level for their age and intellect. But as we grow older, we need to understand that what was really going on was that the world was full of chaos. That's why Genesis opens with, it was chaos until the Lord spoke order, cosmic order into the chaos. And God created this sort of island, and I want you to think island in terms of like Great Britain, you know, huge island, let's say, in the midst of the chaos that we call Eden. And this Edenic cosmic order was inhabited by creatures that God made. The supreme being, Yahweh, the one who calls himself I am. He created this unique place and all these unique creatures. And then he put in that place what we call in biblical scholarship the Adam. Just think small a, D-A-M. And what it means is the God-created humans. And that is special because in a world of chaos that we will find is ruled by beings who divinely, or, or I should say separated from the divine and have ordered uh, their entire, I shouldn't say ordered even, but they've created this whole culture of chaos that ruled outside of Eden. So you have this chaos and you have the, the lesser gods, we might say, who created the chaos. And inside we have the God, the supreme being, the creator of even those lesser beings, creating an image of himself in the form of humanity so that in all of creation there's nothing like the people God created. And this is why the people uh, were assaulted or uh, confused and distracted by the enemy. This is why Satan crept in, was to lead them astray, to, to take the most supreme of God's creations and try to corrupt it. And it could be argued that this enemy, Satan, was successful. Now you have to go back to Hebrew literature and you have to look at the Old Testament through the eyes of the people who wrote it to understand the next concept. And you may want to discuss this with me later and I hope you feel free to do so. But what you learn after you really dig in with biblical scholars and you look at the Hebrew interpretation of the Old Testament is you realize that, that in heaven there is an, a, a divine council. That is to say God has uh, a... Uh, entourage of lesser gods or angels around God that, that help 
with the governance, but there is none more supreme than God and the Son, Jesus. And you could see that image plainly when you read the book of Revelation and you see how John's experience was to witness all of that. But imagine then that some, a third will say, of the divine council rebelled against God and then was cast to the earth where they brought nothing but chaos and oppression. And imagine that they live outside the walls of Eden where strange and terrible and crazy things happen so that we read in Genesis 6 that there were strange characters and creatures that existed because those fallen ones interacted <clears throat> with the created earth beings, those people that were outside of Eden, so that there were superhumans and giants and strange and mysterious things. And then imagine that God says, you know, if this is left unchecked, it's going to be even more chaotic over time. So God exercises God's supreme power and floods the entire earth and wipes out all of these bizarre creatures. Bet you've never heard it this way before. They don't do this one on the flannel graph. But this, I promise you, is sound biblical scholarship. So that what you recognize is that God flooded the earth that time in order to end strange and terrible things that brought chaos and oppression to the earth. And God was particularly concerned now that his special people had been set outside of Eden, God was particularly concerned with protecting them. So that Noah, the guy who saves this remnant of this perfectly created human that was made in God's image, is the one who is, as described in, in Genesis, perfectly biologically descendant from Adam. In other words, he has an uncorrupted bloodline. And so it is through Noah that God preserves the perfect Adamic creature. Have I lost you yet? Now we get to Babel. Now, because of the flood, there are no more demonic, fallen angels, failed members of the divine council, Satan. They're no longer physically present on the earth because they've been wiped out by the flood, but they still exercise tremendous influence in an unseen realm. And humanity begins to take over where the fallen ones left off. And this is Babel. Vain humanity filled with pride and, and ego and filled with ridiculous ambitions. And no, it isn't like our flannel graph when it comes to Babel either or Babel. It isn't as though the, they tried to build a tower that went all the way up to heaven. It's more that they tried to build a city and a nation under themselves that would replace God. That they would be the gods of the world. Imagine that, people who worship themselves and put themselves above God and put government above God and put social norms above God. Imagine that. 
And then imagine God descending. Remember he said, let us. And imagine God descends with his faithful entourage. And they look at this thing that is happening and they recognize that this will be a human form of chaos and oppression that will be equal to or greater than in some ways the chaos and oppression that existed before the flood. And so the decision is made to divide them by giving them different languages and different identities as people and confusing them and dispersing them across the earth so that we have now the many nations and the many voices. Sure, it sounds like a story that was made up to explain why there are so many different kinds of people in the world and no one can say for sure that this is 100% accurate, but the Hebrew culture that re reported these events in the text that we've carried down through the ages are pretty explicit about all of this. And it is amazing that an undisputed, generally accepted, consistent storyline ex exists to this day after these many thousands of years. So the Bible tells us that after this dispersal for thousands of years, God chooses to interact with God's chief creation, humanity, and does so by selecting a unique group of people. And so out of the chaos that he emerged from Babel and became the divided nations after Babel, God calls Abram. And he says, you know, Abram, if you're on board with this, I'm going to build a relationship with a very specific group of people and you will be their father. And you may know the story because Abram says, oh, that's great. Good plan, God. You know, uh, Sarah and I haven't been able to conceive a child and we're really old. That sounds like a great plan. And the Lord says, Abram, I promise you, your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands on the beach. And God said to Abram, you're Abraham now. And I promise you, you will be the father of this multi-faceted, amazing culture that will be the chosen people. To be my people, like in Eden, but in the world, but not of the world. And so through Abraham, we get the people called Israel, and eventually we get a series of amazing and interesting characters, all ruined and flawed in so many interesting ways. But somehow God is faithful. Somehow God keeps the covenant with Abraham. He keeps the covenant as it is outlined and defined by Moses or through Moses. And he keeps the covenant he made with David. And he keeps the covenant all the way through until eventually he fulfills the terms of the covenant by sending God's own son to the people and saving them from their sin. Let's remember for important purposes here that sin is a lack of regard for God's supreme authority and righteousness, a lack of respect for who God is. 
That, that is what got the fallen ones in trouble. That's what got Adam and Eve in trouble. That's what got the people of Babel in trouble. That's what got all of these curious and interesting characters that God interacts with. It always gets them in trouble because whenever they forget to seek first the kingdom of God, they are sinning. And sin always leads to pain and suffering, destruction, and even chaos and oppression. Then the Lord resolves the terms of the original covenant and introduces a new covenant, which we'll celebrate at the Lord's table in just a few minutes as we remember that Jesus introduced a new covenant in his name that says you are no longer guilty of sin because of what Christ has done for you. And it is that covering of your sin that makes it possible for you to once again be in the presence of God, the supreme God, the Father in heaven, the ruler of everything and the most righteous of all. Through Jesus, then, we are redeemed from the sin of Adam. We're affected positively by the cancellation of sin's power in our lives so that we're no longer subject to the authority of sin and therefore the flesh. Now we're going to talk for many weeks in the next starting next Sunday about how we live with canceled sin and the power to attain a perfect love. That's what we'll talk about starting next week. But for now, we have to understand that the problem of sin and death has been dealt with and the enemy no longer has authority over you. In the name of Jesus Christ, you can tell the enemy where to go and how to get there. And you know where he needs to go because he came from there. Now, you have that authority because it was given to you through Jesus Christ. You have power over sin. You can resist sin simply by commanding the tempter who has created chaos and oppression throughout the entire Old Testament period. You have the authority to tell him, knock it off. And as if that wasn't enough, we come to today's story. So let us look again at Scripture, Acts chapter 2 now, verses 1 to 21. That's on page 1081 in your pew Bible, by the way. We're going to read Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? 
I had to pause there for a minute and say, basically the elite were saying, how can these rednecks from the country speak in all these foreign languages? They don't even speak English that well. I mean, that's a little translation for you. Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let, us, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. I have to stop again because I think that's one of the funniest things in the whole Bible. They're not drunk. It's too early in the day to be drunk. That happens later. Who says the Bible's not funny? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God for the people of God again. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Do you hear what Jesus said? Abraham was watching when everything he'd been promised was fulfilled through Christ. And this prophecy that, that uh, Peter is quoting is being fulfilled right now. Fulfilled at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and, and we like to say it's when the church was born. I don't know if that's an accurate statement biblically, but it does indicate that the Spirit-led body began to be a force that would be known in Christ's own words as the body of Christ, the church universal, universal, <laughs> universal even. And what has happened. It's the reversal of Babel. You see that? Everything that happened at Babel has just been undone. Why? Because we have power over sin. Sin's power has been canceled. So now the vanity and the corruption that was Babel is in check because Christ has canceled the power of sin and we have the permission to receive the very heart and mind of God into our own hearts and minds so that we are no longer subject to that power. So there's no danger of a power like Babel emerging again. 
Or is there? Well, it really comes back to what we do as the body of Christ and how we do it. And if we're silent and if we're inactive and if we don't oppose oppression and chaos, if we don't stand in the authority of Christ against Satan, then chaos like Babel can return. And so the body of Christ empowered at Pentecost by the Holy Spirit has a God-given responsibility to stand firm, courageously, filled with faith at whatever cost, at whatever cost, to oppose evil and oppression and chaos and to use the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring cosmic order, freedom and liberty from sin and death, to bring good news and hope to oppressed people, to bring sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and so on. It is us, we, the body of Christ, who, with the Holy Spirit's power, are Jesus to the world that needs to know him. And so what could be more important on a Pentecost Sunday than remembering our mission, which is to be disciples of Jesus Christ, living in the authority and power of the Holy Spirit, and then to seek others who would be disciples of Jesus Christ. We do that because in seeking them, we help them to be saved, just as we are saved. And if it is our God-given responsibility and we've been empowered to do so, then we must be out in our community and in our world seeking the lost and leading them to salvation. That is our essential purpose because of Pentecost. And what we've been given at Pentecost is the ability to bridge the gap of language and culture it means that the whole body of Christ is no longer defined by a religious identity or a cultural identity, which is unfortunately still a common interpretation of religion, even among Christians. We're no longer separated because of gender or color or because of languages or because of any of the things that separate us, your neighborhoods, your wealth, your Accent. I don't know, I could go on. All of those things are wiped out because of Pentecost. And you might say like me, well, I've never been able to master a foreign language, but that's not the point. The point is, is that if you're out there in the power of the Holy Spirit seeking the lost, being a disciple who's seeking disciples, the Holy Spirit will give you whatever you need to fulfill that God-given purpose. And you mustn't be afraid to do it. You mustn't be afraid of the cost because you've been given eternal life and here's the good news. One day, Joel's prophecy that Peter referred to will be fulfilled in completion and we will be part of the elect of every nation gathered at the throne of Christ Worshiping him, whether we died making that possible or we live to a ripe old age making that possible, we will all be in that place. 
And what greater purpose could any person want or need than that? Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Let all that was divine be burned into our memories and kept there to remind us of our God-given calling, the power that you have made for us available in the Holy Spirit so that we might truly glorify you in all things and in all ways. Amen. Amen.